following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Good evening, everybody. Good evening, everybody. You know what's happening here tonight, don't you? 18 days of prayer. That's what's happening here tonight. Lord can't stay away from people that like to call on his name and get up close and hug up to him. He kind of likes that. And he's here tonight. A young lady who came over to get prayer tonight and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit right over here. Just probably a while ago. Beautiful girl. Hey, I'm telling you, when people pray, things happen. When you pray, God shows up. He always has, he always will, and that's why we love to start the first of our year with these, boy, it's a long time, 21 days. But you know what? We're not in Daniel's shoes. Daniel waited 21 days for an answer. We don't have to wait 21 days for an answer. We believe that when we pray, God hears us right now. And one day I'll preach a message about the difference in Daniel's prayer and our prayer and what happened in the middle of it to cause our prayer to be heard the moment that we pray it. It's not delayed. There's no delayed broadcast in heaven. And there's no delay from heaven to earth. Because God is watching and listening to what we have to say to Him. And when we speak to Him, He says, that's my kids. They're talking to me. I need to stand up here. And God stands up for us. Would you stand up for Him right now all over the house? If you're a guest, we welcome you. Come on, we welcome our guests tonight. Good to, have, good to have Pastor Ricardo in the house tonight. Let's give him a hand of appreciation. Amen. I think you could wake Ricardo Sanchez up at 2 a.m. and say sing, and he'd stand up and sing like there's no tomorrow. He just got one of those spirits, one of those indomitable spirits that he could just stand up and say, okay, let's sing. And he'd take off with an with a, a, a imaginary guitar. What do you call it? Yeah, 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 whatever. <laughs> so anyhow, we're happy to have him tonight. And they sing beautifully. And I, I love preaching behind that. So I better do good tonight. And so uh, I'm, I'm harder on myself than anybody in this house is. But I want to I speak tonight on a subject that may not be the easiest thing to speak on. But I'm going to talk tonight about pray hard. Pray hard. Say it with me. Pray hard. It's just a simple message on persistence tonight. And I believe that God loves people that continue and continue and continue and continue and never stop what they're doing. Turn to somebody, say, I'm going to help the pastor. I'm not going to be lengthy tonight. I make that promise and you may be seated. I'm not handsome, quit whistling at me. <laughs> in standardized math tests, Japanese children consistently score higher than do American kids. Some just assume that a natural proclivity toward mathematics is the primary difference. Yet researchers have discovered that it may have more to do with effort than ability. In a study involved in first graders, students were given a difficult puzzle to solve 
And the researchers weren't interested in the children solving the puzzle. They simply wanted to see how long they would try before giving up. The American kids lasted on average 9.47 minutes. The Japanese children lasted 13.93 minutes. Japanese kids tried 47% longer than American kids. Anybody still wonder why they score higher on math exams? Researchers said the difference in the math scores has less to do with intelligent quotient and more to do with persistent quotient. The Japanese first graders simply try harder. That study not only explains the difference in math scores, the implications are true no matter where you turn. It doesn't matter whether it's athletics, academics, music, or math. There are no shortcuts. There's no substitute. Success is the derivative of persistence. Say it with me. Success is a derivative of persistence. Several years ago, Anders Ericsson and his colleagues at Berlin Elite Academy of Music did a study with musicians, and they divided violinists into three groups, world-class soloists, good violinists, and those likely, unlikely to play professionally. And all of them started playing violin roughly at the same age, and they practiced about the same amount of time until the age of eight years of age. That's when their practice habits diverged. Researchers found that by the age of 20, average players had logged about 4,000 hours of practice time. The good violinists told about 8,000 hours, and the elite performers set the standard with 10,000 hours. Well, there's no denying that innate ability dictates some of your upside potential. Your potential is not only tapped through persistent effort, it's persistence that's the magic bullet, and the magic number seems to be, everybody say 10,000. 10,000. 10, the emergent picture from such studies is that 10,000 hours of practice is required to achieve a level of mastery associated with being a world-class expert in anything, Daniel Leviton said, a neurologist. Study after study of composers, basketball players, fiction writers, ice skaters, concert pianists, chess players, master criminals, etc. 10,000 is the number. No one has yet found a case in which true world-class expertise was accomplished in less time than 10,000 hours. It seems that it takes the brain that long to assimilate all that it needs to know to achieve true mastery. President Calvin Coolidge said this. He said, nothing in the world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing's more common than unsuccessful men with abundance of talent. He said, genius will not. Unrewarded genius, genius is almost a proverb. He said, education will not. The world is filled with educated derelicts. But he said, persistence and determination alone will help you reach your goal." So my question tonight is, is prayer any different? Is prayer any different? It is a habit to be cultivated. Prayer is a discipline to be developed. And it's a skill to be practiced. A lot of us pray emergency prayers on the backside. But what we're trying to do in this 21 days is pray some proactive prayers on the front side. 
because there's something about praying before the situation, not praying during the situation or for God's sake after the situation. Come on, we're not emergency people. We are prepared people with our prayer life. I don't want to reduce praying hard to time long. I don't. But if you want to achieve mastery, it might take 10,000 hours. This I know for sure. The bigger the dream, the harder you'll have to pray. Luke chapter 18 is a beautiful story. I love this story. I preached it a whole bunch in my life as a younger man, and I love it still today. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. There was a judge in a certain city, and he said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. And a widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God or care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. <laughs> is there any men ever said that in this house? Or any women ever said that about a man? I'm going to see, see, I'm, I'm on both sides, folks. I, uh, I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Context. This parable about persist, a persistent widow is one of the most powerful pictures of prayer in Scripture. Praying hard looks like this. Knocking until your knuckles are raw. Crying out until your voice is lost. And pleading until your tears run dry. Praying hard, folks, is praying through it. It's praying through it. And if you pray through God will come through. Come on, you need to clap your hands for that. The unjust judge phrase used to describe the widow's persistent, she's wearing me out, is a boxing terminology. Prayer is going 12 rounds with God. Praying hard is more than words. It's blood, it's sweat, and it's tears, and it's two-dimensional. It's praying like it depends on God and working like it depends on you. You don't just pray and sit back. You pray and say, God, I'm in this also. What do I need to do to make this come to pass? I'm telling you, if you do more than just pray, but if you put steps to your prayer and say, God, I'm gonna be here for you. It's praying until God answers, period. Come on now, come on now. It's showing God you're serious. Desperate times call for desperate measures. There comes a moment when you need to throw caution to the wind. You need to draw a circle in the sand. You need to defy protocol. You need to drop to your knees and pray for the impossible. Muster every ounce of faith you have. Call down rain from heaven. The persistent widow was in that moment. We don't know what injustice was taking place. We do know she wouldn't take no for an answer. She was a circle maker. Maybe it was a son who was falsely imprisoned for a crime he didn't commit. Perhaps a man had molested her daughter and he was still on the streets. Whatever it was, the judge knew she would never give up. And the judge knew she would keep knocking on his door until the day she died. There was no quit in her. My dad had a phrase that I quote from time to time. He said, son... Remember this, it's always too soon to quit. 
He said, son, don't you quit because quitters, and you've heard this, never win, and winners just don't quit. And it's always too soon. And dad, your prayers got me through some crucible times in my life, crucial areas in my life. Prayer got me through some things and never quitting got me through some stuff. And I'm here to declare, I don't want to pastor quitters in this house. I want to pastor people that say, hey, I feel like John Paul Jones. I have not yet begun to fight. Come on, we're not through, we're not done, we're not finished. We may be defeated, we may be knocked down, but we're still here. We may be oppressed, but we're not forsaken. Come on, somebody. This is our hour. It's the greatest hour of the church right now. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Does the judge of heaven know that about you that you won't quit? How bad do you want that miracle? Desperate enough to pray through the night? How many times will you circle the promise until the day you die? How long and how loud will you knock on the door of opportunity till you knock the door down? Winston Churchill said the nose of a bulldog is sloped backwards so he can bite you and breathe without turning loose. <laughs> he had a bulldog and Winston Churchill was a bulldog. Some of you need to get that bulldog mentality. Get a grip on it. And bite and breathe and never give up. Desperate measures. If you're not desperate, you won't take desperate measures. And if you don't pray like it depends on God, the biggest and best miracles will remain out of your prayer reach. Remember this. God will honor your bold prayers because your bold prayers honor God. You don't need him if you can do it yourself. You need him for the impossible. Anybody got an impossibility in your life? Come on, you ready for God to step in? Just keep praying. Honey, the circle maker, the persistent widow's methodology was unorthodox. She could have and technically should have waited for her court date. Going to a personal residence of a judge crossed the professional line. I'm surprised the judge didn't get a restraining order against her. But this reveals something about the nature of God. God could care less about protocol. If he did, Jesus would have chosen the Pharisees as his disciples. That's protocol. But that isn't who Jesus honored. Jesus honored a prostitute who crashed a party at a Pharisee's house to anoint his feet. Jesus honored a tax collector who climbed a tree in a three-piece suit just to get a glimpse of him. Jesus honored the four friends who cut in line and tore a hole in somebody's ceiling to help their friend down to Jesus. And in this parable, Jesus honored the woman who drove a judge crazy because she wouldn't stop knocking. And I put in my notes, wow, 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 wow. You need to clap your hands for that kind of Jesus I'm preaching about tonight. Common denominator, holy desperation. Desperate people, desperate measures. God honored them for it. Nothing has changed. God is still honoring spiritual desperados who crash parties and climb trees and those who defy protocol with their bold prayers, those who pray with audacity and tenacity. The persistent widow is the gold standard when it comes to praying hard. It was a spirit of importunity. Her unrelenting persistence was the only difference between justice 
and injustice. The viability of prayers is not scrambling the 26 letters of the alphabet into the right combinations like abracadabra. No. God knows the last punctuation mark before we pronounce the first syllable. See, the viability of our prayers has more to do with intensity than it does vocabulary. And that's modeled by the Holy Spirit himself who has been intensely and unceasingly interceding for you your entire life. Before you woke up this morning, long after you go to sleep tonight, the Spirit of God was circling you with songs of deliverance. Since the day you were conceived, you were circled, and he'll circle you till the day you die. The Holy Spirit's praying hard for you with groans that cannot be formulated into words. And those unutterable intercessions should fill you with unspeakable confidence. God isn't just for you in a passive sense. God is for you in the most active sense imaginable. The Holy Spirit's praying hard for you. We get in sync when we tag team with God and do the same. Come on. If the Spirit of God is praying for us, why don't we join in with that and start praying back to the God of heaven. Oh, somebody clap your hands. Let me talk about a small cloud here just a moment. I want to hyperlink some areas in the Bible. Several centuries, I want to talk about Elijah. Several centuries before the drought in Honi's generation, there was another drought in Israel. For three long years, there was no puddle jumping in Israel. It was a drought because the prophet said, it will not rain till I say it will rain. And God shut the heavens. Then the Lord promised Elijah rain. And Elijah stood Still had to circle it in prayer. Elijah climbed Mount Carmel, fell on his face and prayed for rain. Six times he sent his servant to look toward the sea and there was no sign of rain. Most of us would have given up after six prayers. Our natural eyes can't see the tangible difference. We allow circumstance to get between God and us instead of putting God between us and our circumstances. Elijah like Honey held his holy ground. He stood on God's promise Elijah would have prayed 10,000 times if that's what it had taken. But between the sixth and the seventh prayer, there was a subtle shift in the atmospheric pressure. After the seventh prayer, Elijah's nearsighted servant strained his eye and he saw a small cloud the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Can I tell you that hand had the five-fold ministry in it. When God gets us in shape, when God gets us ready to receive, he's going to send a cloud the size of a man's hand. It don't take a whole lot of clouds for God to bring a whole lot of rain. It don't take a whole lot of thunder for God to bring a whole lot of wind. It just takes the cloud the size of a man's hand. You need to start believing in the little things that God is showing you and not wait for the big tumultuous rain. You need to accept, hey, I see something. I feel this. I know this. This is happening in my life. And watch God take your dreams and make them possible because you accept the small things in life. Come on, receive it, receive it, receive it, receive it. I can't help but ask the counterfactual question, what if Elijah had quit praying after the sixth circle, the sixth prayer? He would have defaulted on the promise and forfeited the miracle. But Elijah prayed through, and God came through. 
and rain came. And it wasn't a light drizzle. It was a terrific rainstorm. In fact, it rained so hard that Elijah took off running toward Jezreel, which is 17 miles away. And Ahab got in his chariot and Elijah beat him there on foot. Elijah was a marathoner. He had run from Jezebel a long time. And he had to run fast. It's so easy to give up on dreams and miracles and promises. We lose heart, we lose patience, we lose faith. It's like a slow leak. It happens without us even knowing it until our prayer life gets a flat. If there's some dream God wants to resurrect in your life, is there a promise you need to reclaim? Is there a miracle you need to start believing for again? Have you walked out of some that you said, God, I'm just going to quit praying for it because it's no need to pray for it anymore? Can I re-up that dream and that promise in your life tonight? Can I tell you, you, can, you, need, you need to call it back and say, God, I, I think I'm going to pray for this again. Let's just see what happens. Many of us give up too soon because we feel like we have failed if God doesn't answer our prayer. That isn't failure. The only way you can fail is if you stop praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. Keep praying. I've prayed for things here for 32 years. I'm going to preach something Sunday that I'm excited about. I'm going to call it the best is yet to come. I'm going to preach about that Sunday. And I really do believe, it's not a hype sermon, I really do believe that the best days of the church are yet before us. It's not back in the good old days. It's not back in the wagon days. It's not back in the apostles days. The greatest hour of the church is coming on right now. The best is yet to come. I believe that. Come on, clap your hands and rejoice in that. If God can send a quail storm, he can certainly send a thunderstorm. He sent quail in 105 million from the sea. He can send a thunderstorm. Our most powerful prayers are hyperlinked to the promises of God. Now you gotta get this. When you know you're praying the promises of God, you can pray with holy confidence. It's the difference between praying on thin ice and praying on solid ground. It's tentative prayers versus tenacious prayers. Don't second guess yourself because you know that God wants to double click on his promise. There's an old adage that said, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it. Here's a fresh take on that old truth. God said it, I've circled it, and that settles it. If God has said it, Let's claim it and never have a disclaimer about claiming the promises of God. It was settled on the cross when Jesus said, it is finished. It wasn't just the final installment on our sin debt. It was the down payment on all of his promises. Every promise from God is, everybody say yes. yes. It's a yes in Christ. There are no no's in the promises of God, none. Remember the promise, Joshua 1 and 3, God promised Joshua he would give him every place he set his foot, every place. Here's a little addendum at the end of that promise. He said, just as I promised Moses. Is that up there? Huh? Huh? It's in my notes. Everybody say, just as I promised Moses. The promise that God gave Joshua 
was originally given to Moses. Then it was transferred to Joshua. In much the same way, all of God's promises have been transferred to us by Jesus Christ. While those promises must be interpreted intelligently and applied accurately, there are moments when the Spirit of God will quicken your spirit to claim a promise that was originally intended for somebody else. So while we have to be careful not to blindly claim promises that don't belong to us, our greatest challenge is that we don't circle the promises we could or should circle. Come on. By the most conservative estimates, there are more than 3,000 promises in the scriptures. The highest mark is 7,000. I claim seven. But what Jesus accomplished on the cross, every one of them belongs to you. Every one of them. Every one of God's promises has your name on it. The question is, how many of them have you circled in your life? So let's talk about circling promises. What I'm about to share has the power to revolutionize the way you pray and the way you read the Bible. I'm going to say it again. What I'm about to share has the power to revolutionize the way you pray and the way you read the Word. We often view prayer and scripture reading as two distinct spiritual disciplines without much overlap. But what if they were meant to be hyperlinked? What if they were meant to be connected? What if reading became a form of praying and praying became a form of, a form of reading? One of the primary reasons we don't pray through is because we run out of things to say. Am I right? We run out of things. Oh, Lord, I've prayed everything I can think of. Our lack of persistence is really a lack of conversation pieces. Like an awkward conversation, we don't know what to say. Like that old girl, that old boy we tried to date, and we couldn't even talk to him because they were so ignorant. And we just run out of conversation because they didn't know how to converse back. Or like a conversation on its last leg, we run out of things to talk about. That's when our prayers turn into a bunch of overused and misapplied cliches. Oh God, you know I love you. God, I love you. Hold on a little, little, little. I love you, I love you, I love you. I love you, Lord. Mm, have I told you that today, Lord? I love you. I had a nephew years ago when he was just a kid. The only thing he could ever say in a conversation, I love you, Uncle Rex. I love you. And I, and, I, and I wanted to go to him one day and say, son, can you say anything else? Anything else you can say? Could you ask me to buy you a bike or something? Or maybe do something for you, like take you to get some ice cream with your brothers or something like that. Just ask. I love you, Uncle Rex. I love you, Uncle Rex. Oh, I know it's precious, but it got old. It got old. Instead of praying hard about a big dream, we're left with small talk. Our prayers are as meaningless as a conversation about the weather. The solution is pray through the Bible. I'm almost done now. I'm almost done. Here's the application. It starts changing the way you read the Bible. In fact, the Bible wasn't meant to be read through. The Bible was meant to be prayed through. And when you start praying the Bible... When you pray through it, you'll never run out of promises to circle. Yeah. 
you'll find something in Joshua. You said, I've never prayed this. Pray it because it's in that book. And circle it because it's your word to him. Because Jesus made this all applicable to us. Amen? You'll never run out of conversation. The Bible is a promise book and a prayer book. And while reading is reactive, prayer is proactive. We react to our reading, but prayer is proactive. Reading is the way you get through the Bible. Prayer is the way you get the Bible through you. That's a pretty good when I wrote it. <laughs> reading is the way you get through the Bible. Prayer is the way you get the Bible through you. And as you pray, the Holy Spirit will quicken certain promises to your spirit. My wife every year reads the Bible through, every year. And it convicts me because I probably do also in my study, but I don't just pick up Genesis and say, okay, here we go again. I'll read Esther, then I'll jump over there to Job, and then I'll jump over there to John, then, you know, I'll read them. But, you know, I, I might leave out Habakkuk or something, I don't know. But my wife doesn't leave out anything. And my wife circles things, and my wife looks at things, and she reads those. And she told me the other day, said, honey, I'm reading about Joseph. And he's my favorite character. I love Joseph's story. Said, it just makes me know that I can overcome anything because of Joseph. She's circling things about that. She's praying through the word as she's reading through the word. Then you need to circle those promises both figuratively and literally. You know, I like to read with a pen so I can underline asterisk and circle. Then I do it figuratively by circling them in prayer. Now, here's what I want to tell you. When I get through praying in the morning, I normally go home for just a little while. And today I went home and I'm going to go ahead and be honest with you, I took a nap. Because I couldn't go all day and preach tonight like I wanted to preach tonight with a tired brain. And I'm not tired. I'm Scott Van Pelt at 12 o'clock on Sports Center. I ain't tired yet. And I could right now preach 30 more minutes, but I'm not because I'm a quitter on time. I could preach 30 more minutes right out of my heart and tell you how wonderful and how precious it is to pastor a church like this that shows up for prayer, that turns it on in the morning in their house, that prays. We probably have 250, 300 members of our church praying every morning. That's pretty cool, folks. And you know what? God is taking notice of that because I know a lot of churches that just quit that. They just think it's just beyond their reach. They just don't want to do it. You know why? They just don't want to do it. But I'm here to declare that when we pray first, God shows up and God's going to bless this church the whole year. There's going to be a favor and a fullness of God on this church. Come on now. That's why I'm telling you the best is yet to come because God is showing his favor on a house that calls on his name. Come on, say it with me. Let's pray through the Bible. Let's pray through it this year. Go home, pick up the Bible tonight and spend 10 minutes and say, I like that, I'm gonna circle that. Every promise in the book is mine, every chapter, every verse, every line, I am trusted in his love divine. Ooh, I just wrote a song. Every promise in the book is mine. No, that's an old song. But you hadn't heard it because you're new timers. But what a joy to know that the promises of God are for us. Amen. 
Come on, guys. Come on. Come and help me. It's time to quit. It's time to quit. You know, some people walked in here tonight say, when they saw me, they said, I bet that guy preached an hour and a half tonight. No. No, I used to, but I quit that about 50 years ago. I don't believe in that. Let me tell you about this. Let me tell you a story before I let you go. I preached one night two hours and 15 minutes. And I'll tell the story to you real quickly. It was a church, my very first church. I couldn't spell pastor, and I was one. And there was a huge situation that rose, rose up in the congregation, and, and I was 26. I didn't know how to handle it. I don't know if I know how to handle it even now because sometimes those problems are bigger than you can think. That's why you need a God in your life. And, and, and the beautiful thing about it is that God gave me a word and a voice to speak to those people. And I cried and I wept and I, and I preached with a, with a heart that was very open. And I talked about a prophet named Micaiah who prophesied to Ahab that he would take Ramoth Gilead but he would not come home. And he was the only one of the prophets that had told Ahab that he wouldn't come home. And so Ahab said, Micaiah always speaks negative about me. So I want you to do me a favor, guys. Put him in prison and don't release him till I come home. And I will deal with him then. But Ahab never came home. Because a, a soldier drew a bow at a venture. And he shot it in the air and it found the chest of Ahab and he died on the battlefield from something that wasn't even aimed at him. But God sent the arrow in the right place. And Ahab never came home. And my question to the congregation was, how long are you going to imprison the man of God when he's just trying to preach truth and grace and mercy and help to you? How long are you going to put him in prison? And folks, I'll never have to preach that sermon again because God eradicated that and set me on a pathway that many years ago that gave me a grace and a strength to withstand anything that came against this house. Amen. And here we are, and we're moving forward, and the best is yet to come. Amen. I believe that. Stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. We got any singers in the house? Is somebody kidnapped Ricardo? No. Here they come. As a young man, when I used to evangelize, I didn't have any books except a Crudence Concordance. And let me tell you this story. You'll love this story. And so when I would go to a preacher's place to preach, I was still single. I'd go to a preacher's church to preach and I would say, can I use your office to study during the day because I don't have enough sermons to last a two-week revival. I need to get some more. And they always would say yes. They, I guess I just found favor in all these guys' life. And when I'd get in their office, I would lock the door because I didn't want to be discovered doing what I was doing. I would open that pastor's sacred Bible, his Bible, and I would read where his, where his eyes had read and where his pen had circled. And I would write those notes on a little tablet. I was just a kid. I didn't know how to study. 
I didn't know how to prepare a sermon. I tried seminary and I lasted at that cemetery for four months. <laughs> and I left and I went to preaching and it was dumb. But God somehow made up the difference. And I would, I would write those things and I didn't want to get caught in his book. And there wasn't a pastor, because I'm a pastor now, there wasn't a pastor that I ever preached for that would have done anything except, son, I hope you're gleaning something from that book. And I would glean and I'd write it down. And I'd look for circled scriptures even when I was a 21-year-old boy. I hungered and I learned that when somebody was touched by something in that Bible, they would ask to risk it. They would check mark it. They would circle it. And it became my reading fodder. And I became a man of this word because of ministers back in that day that let me in their office and read their book called The Word of God. Listen to me. If you don't have anything to pray in the morning at six o'clock, bring your Bible with you. And open up your Bible and bring your pen and just circle some things in there. Circle promises and pray. That's what you call persistence, folks. Persistence. persistence. Raise your hands all over the house. Dear Father, I love this church. I love these people. I'm honored to be their pastor. And I'm grateful that they are in the house on a Wednesday night. They could do anything on Wednesday night, God, but they chose to be here. And I'm an honored man to get to talk to people that want to be in this house on Wednesday night. And all those that can't be here that's watching online, some 1,000, 1,200 people here tonight watching online, God, I ask you to bless them. I ask you to strengthen them. I ask you to help them. And God, get them back here as soon as possible because there's nothing like being in your house together. Now, thank you for the word tonight and thank you for the fact that we need to learn to pray hard. We need to learn to be persistent. We need to learn to never give up. We need to push forward and always understand that if you're with us, nobody can be against us because you're the God that we serve. Now, Jesus, take us through tomorrow, the 19th day, Saturday, the 20th day, and Sunday we'll come back uh, for, for the 21st day, Lord. Now, bless us and help us and give us strength in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. amen. Everybody said amen. amen.